So God be with you. So when that story was being read, as you were hearing that parable, was anyone like, oh man, he's talking about me? Anyone? Yeah? Come on, guys. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, me too. And that's, uh, that's why we read these stories. That's one of the truths about Scripture. Even though these stories were written over 2,000 years ago. So hear that for a moment. Even though these stories are as far removed from us as we are from the year 4019, even though there's that much of a distance between us, when we look past the particulars of all those stories, we can see the universals. The reason these stories have been told again and again and again, the reason the Bible still exists, the reason we call it holy, is because people throughout the years have found in these stories, these universal wisdoms, these questions and these tensions, these things that are deep and true, these things that hum with reverence, these things that tug and pull people into deeper and newer and fuller ways of life. And that's why we read them every single Sunday, because we trust that there's something in this for me. Even though I'm not a Jew living 2,000 years ago, even though I don't have a brother who just died and I want his inheritance, there's still something here for me. God can still speak to me through it. And so we listen. We listen for those universals. And that's why we can all be like, oh man, it's speaking right at me. And I don't know about you, but I both love it and I absolutely hate it when that happens. Because I love it because it's like, oh, it's working. This is awesome. It's so fresh and it's alive. But then I realize, oh man, that means some work. That means God's saying something. And if God's saying something, that's probably something I should listen to. And more often than not, that's something that's a bit uncomfortable. It's something that requires a little bit of sweat. And so I'm always a little hesitant to open these stories and actually listen to what they're saying. Anyone know what I'm talking about with that? Yeah. Yeah, and I see that on some of your faces too when we read a really hard text. You're like, oh my God. This one's going to be tough. But trusting that that's good. Trusting that is why we read these stories. Trusting that discomfort is where the magic actually happens. We're going to listen to what that parable says to us today. And so this morning, nothing too crazy, nothing too in-depth. We're going to hear the parable. Uh, Then we'll offer... I don't know. I got a question or some stuff. I don't know which one we're going to go with yet. We'll see. Uh, But by the end of it, we'll offer a question or some stuff for us to take home and sit with and rumble with and try to let those things pull us into deeper and newer life. Are you with me? Awesome. So let's start with this. What is the issue with the barn guy? What's going on with him? Rhetorical. Just take a moment to think about it. What's going on with him? What is the actual issue of the story? 
He thinks that if he has enough wealth, if he has a lot of stuff, if he has enough grains and good, if he accumulates it all and puts it in his big barns, then he'll enjoy his life. Then he can eat, drink, relax, and be merry. That's kind of his thought process. Anyone sympathize with him? I know I do. I mean, on the one hand, we can't really blame him. On lots of levels, it's a very wise, pragmatic thing to do. Who wouldn't want to prepare for the future? Who wouldn't want to do what they can now so they can be happy and content and stable later? Who doesn't want some wealth to add some stability to their lives? I mean, what's wrong with that? Well, probably nothing. I don't think that's what the parable is getting at. I don't think God has a thing against tax-free savings accounts. I don't think that's why this man is called foolish by God. And just a, 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 a random aside, whenever you hear fool come up in Scripture stories, that's about the worst insult that you can hear in Scripture. If you hear God or someone else call someone a fool, that's when we should stop and pay attention. Because our tradition is a wisdom tradition. This is all about giving us a new way of thinking, a new way of seeing, this new kind of model worldview to have. And to call someone a fool is basically to say, you don't get it. You're thinking the wrong way. You're seeing it wrong. And so we know it's getting to the heart of the issue when we hear someone called a fool, especially by God. But that this guy wants to save, this guy wants to have a bit of security, I don't think that's why he's foolish. So what else is going on here? What's a deeper thing happening underneath this story with the barn guy? And I think we can see it about halfway through the story. When the guy is kind of talking to himself, who else is he speaking to? Who does he reference? Do you remember? Not rhetorical. He's not talking to God. He's going in. Even deeper than himself. Soul. Yeah, he speaks to his soul. Don, can we actually go back? Let's look at it. One more, one more. There. I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. He's talking to his soul. He's talking to that innermost part of his being. Jesus is pointing out that there's something deeply spiritual going on with this guy. There's something spiritual underneath this story. Now let's remember when we talk about the spiritual, when we talk about the soul, we're not talking about life after death. We're talking about life before death. We're talking about life right here and right now, but life as it was meant to be life that hums with reverence, life that's sacred, life that is full of these things like identity 
and purpose and joy. So there's something spiritual going on here, and our job is to ask, well, what is it? What is a spiritual issue? What is Jesus pointing out to the crowds? And I wonder if the issue is that it's there in the wealth, in the stuff, in the accumulation of it all, that the barn guy thinks he can find life. That through it, he can put up his feet and find joy. Oh, he says to himself, essentially, if I get enough stuff, then I'll have identity, then I'll have purpose, then I'll have joy, then I'll have peace. If I have all this in my barns, then I'll experience life as it was meant to be. So what's the tension here? What is Jesus calling out? I wonder if the issue is that life, that kind of life that we're here looking for, a life that hums with reverence, we won't find it through having stuff. That's not where we actually find those things like identity, purpose, joy, and peace. The issue is that the guy's looking in the wrong place. And I wonder if this story is our story. Because how often does stuff shape our values and how we act? How often does what we have determine who we are? How often does stuff like wealth, having things, or buying things become the way we try to find the life we're looking for? Anyone ever find themselves doing stuff like that? Yeah, for me it's all the time. And it's been really fascinating and even more challenging, I've learned in the past like two weeks, to see how owning a house has changed the way I see people in my neighborhood. Because before we had the house, I had so much empathy for the transient people that I would see walking up and down our neighborhood. I was one paycheck away from being them. I got it. Sympathy, compassion, I'm with you. But now that it's my street, now that I'm in my house, walking down, seeing them walk down my street, you get the heck off my lawn. I'm keeping my eye on you. My attitude's changed. The wealth of having a house has changed how I see and how I treat my neighbors. After our dog died, Don and I were feeling super down one day uh, and super sad. So we did what many people do to help them feel better and cope with things like grief and pain and loss. We went shopping. We bought stuff. And it felt so good until we got home and Leroy wasn't there. And we just had a car full of like a thousand bucks worth of stuff that made us feel no better, did not help, and moved us nowhere closer towards healing and peace and comfort. We did not find the life we were looking for through having more stuff. 
And maybe you have your own stories. We all probably have a story or two about how we've tried to use wealth and stuff to help us experience new life. We probably see ourselves in this story because we are this story. We are that guy in one way, shape, or form. We've all been that guy. And if we are that guy, if we've been that guy, if we do see ourselves in this story, I think we all need to hear the message Jesus is giving us here. This really important, really hard truth, especially for us, about what it means to be spiritual and how we find that life we're looking for. You can't have or buy your way into a meaningful existence. You won't find life that way. You can't buy it. You can't accumulate it. It doesn't work like that. And there's a reason Jesus talks so much about wealth. There's a reason why he says, give everything away. And he means it. There's a reason why he says it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to experience that life. He's serious. He's not exaggerating. In every single gospel, Jesus is talking all the time about wealth and the problems it offers. And I wonder if he talks a lot about that, if he says these really difficult things, because so often, too often, that's how we try to get saved. That's how we try to find the life we're looking for. That's how we try to find those divine things like identity and purpose and peace and joy. We buy it or we have it. But it's not that those things are inherently bad. Money is neutral. There's no ethical weight attached to it. It's all in how you hold it. But what Jesus seems to be saying is that wealth and stuff just so easily gets in the way of a life connected with God, each other, and ourselves. One beautiful definition of wealth is wealth is whatever separates you from your neighbor. Whether it's money, stuff, distance, privilege, wealth separates you. And if it separates you, it gets in the way of spirituality because spirituality is all about connectedness. It's all about integration. It's all about wholeness. And I wonder if this parable offers a really strong word of caution for those of us who are looking for that life. And it offers us this truth. You can't buy or have your way into it. You won't find it that way. So for those of us looking for that life, for those of us asking, how do we hold our wealth? What do we do with it? Some mantras for you. Some things to take with you. Some things to think about and repeat to yourself throughout the day. And if you hear one that resonates, write it down. Take it with you. Maybe keep it in your wallet or your purse. Write it on your credit card. Ask yourself, can I take this with me? 
Will this go on with me? Can I take it with me? Ask yourself, what's enough? Do I have enough? What's enough? Ask yourself, who or what else made this happen? It's a way to foster some gratitude. What else happened to make this possible? And can I be grateful for it? Can I be generous with it? And then finally, we can kind of Marie Kondo it. Does this really matter? Does this really matter? Is it of actual value? Is it worth my time, my energy, my space? Does this actually deepen my life? Does this deepen my relationship with God? Does this deepen my relationship to my neighbor? So whatever one you choose, can I take it with me? Who or else made this happen? What's enough? Or does this really matter? Maybe, hopefully, by repeating those mantras, by having that narrative in our head, we can avoid the mistake that the barn guy made. And we won't try to buy or have our way into a meaningful existence. We can go a different way. This way of surrender, this way of grace, this way of generosity. We can find life that way. It's not easy. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. But it's possible. It's doable. So as you go from this place, as people trying to find that life, may you struggle well. And may you find the life that you are looking for. And to that, we all say, Amen. Why don't we stand up and sing our final hymn together?